Hey, Dumelang, Sanbonani, Mangwanani, Absheni, Marcelloni. Good morning. For those who don't know who I am, my name is Babalo Tekiso, and I have the awesome, awesome privilege of leading this community of following Jesus. Listen, if you are joining us for the first time, as following Jesus, we would like to give you a special warm welcome. This is a place where we enjoy fellowshipping with other people. And if you've been joining us for some time now, welcome back. It's good to have you back here again. Hey, for you who is a following Jesus member, it's good to be back on this platform with you all. Here at Following Jesus, we know that healing and diversity are part of our priorities. And this month, we are dedicating our efforts to exploring what this means in the context of Women's Month. We will be taking time to amplify the voices and experiences of women with an all-lineup female preaching for this month of August. And we are really excited for that. We'll also be having a panel on the issue of gender-based violence to raise awareness and to bring about action as a church on this important issue. We're really looking forward to coming together and partnering on these matters. So today, we have Jen all the way from Hawaii in America kicking things off. Jen is a member of our community and also a member of the OT here at Following Jesus. Women's Month together and I'm here to bring the first sermon of the month. Um, August has five Sundays so we actually have five weeks of content planned for you and um, I'm excited to be here for this first one. So let me just pray to start us off. God we are grateful to you this morning um, for the word that you have for us, um, for the ways that you will speak to us and encourage us um, this morning and throughout the rest of this month. Um, we're grateful to you that even in the midst of um, a pandemic in the midst of difficult things happening. Um, your word continues um, to speak to us. You continue to speak to us. Your presence continues to dwell with us. Um, so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, some of you may have seen this past week or so on social media, if you're on social media, a bunch of these like black and white photos of women, and many of them um, include the hashtag challenge accepted. Um, or maybe some of them might say women supporting women, hashtag women supporting women. So for those of you who don't know, or if you're not on social media, there have just been these black and white photos posted and they kind of look like um, these selfies or sometimes they're you know, shots that someone has taken, but they're all black and white. Um, and then afterwards, you know, women have been kind of nominating each other to also post a black and white photo of themselves and so on and so forth. Um, and a lot of people have been asking, you know, how did this challenge begin and what is it really about? So one of the potential origins of this trend is that um, in Turkey, they've kind of been, uh, women have been launching the social media campaign um, of posting black and white photos of themselves to raise awareness of femicide or the killing of women and violence against women in general. Um, and there are other origin stories, but there's another one um, just in the US, a potential kind of origin story 
that um, basically this campaign has gained traction this past week, at least because of something that has happened. Um, and I'm going to tell you that story right now. So um, there's a woman named um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is a representative, um, a member of Congress, um, of the United States Congress. She also goes by AOC. Those are her initials. So I'll refer to her as either of those um, today. But basically, she um, was called a curse word and a sexist slur by an older man who's also a member of Congress. Um, so basically, in essence, you can kind of think of it as, you know, an older male colleague, uh, in fact, old enough to be her father, swore violently at this young woman and called her disgusting because he disagreed with her political stance on certain issues. So this incident was witnessed by a journalist and it made the news. And the next day, this older man, Representative Ted Yoho, um, he got up and he made this public statement from the floor of the house in which he apologized to no one in particular, but he, he issued a public apology for, quote unquote, you know, the abrupt manner of conversation that he had with her. Um, but he denied that he had ever actually used those words. He just said he had spoken to her in this tone, I guess. And he stated that, you know, because he's a man who has been married for over four decades and he has two daughters of his own, that he is, quote unquote, aware of his words. But then he went on to kind of say that um, it was his strong feelings about the topic that had made him behave in this way and that he could not, quote unquote, apologize for his passion. Uh, he said he cannot apologize for my passion or for loving my God, my family and my country. So in response to this, Representative Ocasio-Cortez or AOC, the woman whom he had accosted in the first place, she delivered her own statement in which she called out the way that he had brought up his wife and daughters as shields and excuses for poor behavior. So she noted that having a wife and a daughter does not make a man decent. Treating people with dignity and respect makes a decent man. And she also said, you can have daughters and accost women without remorse. You can project an image to the world of being a family man and accost women without remorse and with a sense of impunity. It happens every day in this country. And she was not speaking just about her colleague, but about the reality that is true everywhere in the world, not just in the US. Before a man has a daughter, he probably had a wife or a girlfriend with whom to have that daughter. Before that, he might have had a sister. And before that, he had a mother or a grandmother. Doesn't matter how many women a man has had in his life, none of that makes, that, makes him immune from sexism. None of that inoculates him against violence toward women and girls. So all this, the, although this story is from the US, we know that a story like this is all too common. It's super familiar. It's as likely in South Africa as it is in the US and anywhere else in the world. So I'm gonna bring us back to the story in a bit, but before I do that, let's take a look at some scripture. So this is from Luke 7, starting in verse 36, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. 
Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Look at this woman kneeling here. Or in another version of this passage, Jesus says, do you see this woman? When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. So I love this question that Jesus asked Simon. Do you see this woman? Look at this woman. I mean, of course, Jesus knows Simon has seen her. It's precisely because he's seen her that he makes these uncharitable comments in his mind about the kind of person she is, and therefore about the kind of person Jesus is. But Jesus asked Simon if, she has, if he has seen her for who she is, a human being with value and worth, who demonstrated great love to him. I mean, in effect, Simon speaks about this woman in the same way that Ted Goho spoke to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But Jesus points out the very actions that Simon has just branded as being disgusting, as being evidence of great love. Simon could not see this woman because he only looked at her through the lens of what was appropriate behavior for women in his day. Ted Yoho could not see AOC as a human being who should be treated with dignity and respect because he viewed her through the political and social lens that said it would be fine for him to treat her in this disparaging way just because he disagrees with her political views. But Jesus calls us, to, calls us to see with the eyes of the kingdom in which we understand our own shortcomings, in which we are grateful to God for forgiveness, and in which we extend that to others in love. So I'm not gonna tell you what the words are that Representative Yoho used, but many of you can probably guess um, and the fact that we can easily think of curse words, of terrible curse words that are used to reference women speaks to the reality of the gender dynamics that we live in. Consider for a moment that while there are terrible curse words that we can easily think of that cut women down, there are no similar words that are used specifically for men that carry the same weight, the same punch, the same violence. And I found this story um, of Ted Yoho and AOC stirring pr precisely because in a lot of ways what happened to her is actually not that remarkable and what I mean by that is you know Ted Yoho did not rape AOC he did not hit her he did not raise his hand in violence against her he might have raised his voice but I don't know that she felt at any moment you know physically threatened um, I don't know that she felt worried about her safety or anything I mean, she might have, but that's kind of not the point. The point is, you know, in this world, we are so accustomed to this kind of mistreatment of women that it doesn't even seem like a big deal. So during this COVID pandemic, we've all likely heard or read in the news reports of increased levels of gender-based violence in South Africa and elsewhere around the world. So in fact, in our service next week, we're gonna focus specifically on the scourge of gender-based violence in South Africa and people who are much more knowledgeable about this than me will come and they're going to kind of help us to think through this and how we can respond. But what we probably already know at least is that because of the reality of COVID, 
Women are being forced to stay all day with their potential abusers. And during the early part of the lockdown in particular, they were forced, or forbidden rather, um, from leaving their homes. So despite the president's assurances, you know, that women reporting gender-based uh, violence crimes or escaping their homes, things like that, would not be subject to curfews and other restrictions. The sad reality is many, many women don't bother reporting any of these things because they know that they're not going to be taken seriously. So I'm not exaggerating when I say that police who come to take these, you know, domestic violence type reports, even female police officers, they will often say to women things like, you know, are you sure you didn't say yes and now you just change your mind? You know, and then they'll kind of laugh with each other, ha ha ha, they'll laugh with the abuser, they'll make jokes, and they'll discourage the woman from actually filing, filing an official report. So of course, when we think of gender-based violence, we rightly think of these kinds of stories of women being beaten or raped or murdered. But what we don't always think about are the ways in which men treat women in other violent ways that are so commonplace, they seem normal. So the kind of thing that happened um, to Representative Ocasio-Cortez would hardly be considered newsworthy for most women. What's the big deal, some might say, you know? He just said something stupid and ignorant because he's a foolish man, you know, ignore him. You know, that's not worth making a big deal about. He didn't even hit her. But I think this is precisely why this story has actually been resonating for a lot of women. Because we have to understand that gender-based gender violence is not only when women are raped, or murdered or beaten. When a woman or girl is threatened in any way or demeaned in any way, this is violence. It's violence anytime a man or a boy uses the power that he has because of his gender against a woman or a girl. Violence happens anytime a woman's life is valued as less than a man's life. So what does this look like? When women are paid less than men to do the same work their lives and outputs are valued lower than men's. When work that women traditionally do, such as cleaning the house or cooking, is valued less than the work that men traditionally do, this too is a valuing of men over women. When women are underestimated and not considered able to do the kinds of work that men are able to do, especially, you know, corporate things, intellectual things, um, whatever else is kind of considered the domain of men traditionally, you know, this is also violence. So you might be thinking here like, ah, oh, you're overdoing it, Jen, you know, with this talk of violence, right? Those things are not violence, you know, those are just, they're really not nice things, but, you know, it's not nice that women suffer in, in ways that men don't, but that's not violence, that's just discrimination. Maybe you would say that to me. So, okay, then let's see what Jesus would say, right? So turn with me to Matthew 5, which is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we're going to start in verse 21, and here Jesus says, You have heard that our ancestors were told, You must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. And John, in his first epistle, actually says something similar. This is 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. He says, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. Going back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes on to say that anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I don't think it's an exaggeration here then to understand this to mean that Jesus believes that our thoughts 
lead us to actions and should be taken seriously. And as people who follow Jesus, we should not take our own violent thoughts, our own violent attitudes, our own violent speech any less seriously than violent actions that we might see others take part in. It may not be that our violent thoughts, attitudes, and speech land us up in prison, but we will be held to account by them, uh, account for them by God. So men among us, I'm gonna talk to you for a second. You know, maybe some of you can say that you have never raised a hand against a woman, which is great, but how many of you can say that you have never in your life said or thought or believed something that devalues women? How many of you have never spoken to a woman in a way that is just a little bit paternalistic? How many of you have never made a comment about a woman's body, something that is absolutely none of your business? How many of you have never thought something along the lines of, wow, she's really eloquent or smart or powerful or accomplished or successful or knowledgeable for a woman? If any of you raise your hands now and say, no, I've never thought those things, I've never done those things, I will assume that you are lying or that you're just not yet aware, which by the way is not surprising because men are so often not called out for these kinds of behaviors or thoughts uh, that again, it would not be that surprising. Um, in some ways, if you are unaware of how much of this is kind of ingrained in the way that you think. But I will, assuming that, I, will, I will assume that you're lying or unaware because sexism, like racism, which we've talked about in the past, is ingrained into our societies, our cultures. These are powers and principalities that are inescapable. We fight against these powers and principalities specifically because they exist. And we have not until Jesus returns overcome them. I'm not gonna only call out men on this though, because the reality is the powers and principalities of sexism also affect women. Women can believe sexist things about themselves too. We too can be violent toward ourselves. Many of us sell ourselves short in terms of intelligence or achievement or capacity because we measure ourselves by standards set for us by a male dominated society. Many of us also make excuses for men who behave badly, especially if they are our sons or our husbands or brothers or fathers or grandfathers. When we experience violence, we often explain it away because the truth is no one wants to think of themselves as a victim. No one wants to think of themselves as tarnished in some way, as someone who was not taken seriously, you know, as someone who was abused, as someone who is not worthy enough of respect or dignity. But in this silencing of our own pain, in this ignoring of the ways that women are oppressed in society, we also silence the opportunity for restoration, not just for ourselves, but for the world around us. So none of this is intended to cause undue shame for any of us men or women. It's intended rather to cause us to examine ourselves, our impulses, our internalized or externalized sexism, and to move to action. We are all affected by the powers and principalities. We all wage this fight in the spiritual realms. And we also wage it right here on earth in our relationships with one another. So in truth, it doesn't matter if you know women and girls, if you are related to women and girls, or if you are a woman or a girl. Rather, it should be the case that we treat others well because they are created in the image of God, because they reflect some aspect of God that we would not be able to witness without their presence in the world. 
So before we draw to a close, I'm just going to return us again to that question that Jesus asked Simon the Pharisee. And let's ask ourselves that question. Do we see this woman? What helps us to see others, and in particular, women and children, through the lens of dignity and respect? What helps us also to see our own behaviors, the ways we give in to the fight against the powers and principalities of sexism, whether we are men or women, the ways we make excuses for ourselves, the ways we defend ourselves, the ways we want to explain away those thoughts or behaviors. I invite us in this week and this coming month to take time to reflect on and begin to shift not only our behaviors, but our thoughts, our attitudes, our speech. We all have a lot more to learn about how to regard women with the kind of love that God has for us. May God give us grace and speak truth to us in our journey together. May God give all of us grace as we navigate these tough times. May God give us courage to stand up and speak against gender-based violence in our church, in our homes, in our workplaces, and in our communities. May following Jesus' community continue to be part of the healing story in our society. Until we see you again next week, take care, stay safe, and much love to you all. Shosho. Sure, sure.